Turn in your Bible to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel is in the Old Testament, and we started last week studying through the first six chapters in the book of Daniel, and so we find ourselves Daniel chapter 2 today as the story continues to unfold. And as you're turning to Daniel chapter 2, I want you to think about the Olympics that have been going on the, the past few weeks. Today is sort of the final day of the Olympics, and uh, nowhere is it more true than in, in something like the Olympic Games that you see, you see real, real dominance and, and power on display with the, the countries that have the ability to pay their athletes to train, the, the countries that have the, the ability to fund uh, large budget Olympic programs are, are often the countries that excel in the games. And so right now, of course, the United States is ahead in the, in the gold medal count, ahead in the, in the overall medal count for these Olympics. And no doubt that's in part because as U.S., we are able to pay our athletes to train. Olympics showcase the, the great talent and, and the ability of our many United States athletes in, in the different sports. But it becomes real apparent as you start to, to watch the games and you start to see, it becomes real apparent the, the, what we might consider to be sort of the, the unequal balance of power, if you want to think of it that way, around the world, that there are a handful of nations that that do really well at these games, and, and those also are, no, by no coincidence, the nations that have the, the most money, the most resources, those things to offer their athletes. Some of the favorite stories from these Olympic Games, really any type of games like this, are those, those few people that sort of defy the odds, right? The few groups that kind of, that kind of uh, that go against the norm. They, they, they really do make their way into the, the limelight, the spotlight, kind of against all odds, whether it be just on, on pure talent and drive and, and guts and determination, or be it through perhaps the, the fact that there's some kind of inner drive, some kind of story that's pushing them, motivating them, some reason that, that just, that, that inside of them, right, that, that, is, that is pushing them on. And, and you, we love to watch those stories. We love to, to see those athletes compete. We love to, to see them in the spotlight. I, I think of a few of those types of moments from these games. You've seen perhaps the, the Fiji uh, rugby team, and you've seen those guys and their chants and and, uh, and and just the just the passion that they put into the sport and and this tiny this tiny country right with with relatively few people and yet they they did really well in in that particular sport and there are other examples as well but when we start to think about the way that power is distributed in our world today the way that authority is distributed in our world, not only in terms of, of nations and, and, and different, different you know, we, we might say, a, a, a dominions like a, a nation or, or a government or even a military power, but even think just in, in more localized ways. Think about, think about your world. Think about the authorities and the powers that exist inside of your sphere of influence, right? Be it government, city influences and, and, and authorities, be it, uh, be it Authorities like those that, that sacrifice and, and give their lives to protect and serve, right? Our first responders, be it people like our military personnel who, who 
many of whom have paid the ultimate price. We, think of, we start to think about the, the powers and the authorities in our world today, and there's really no end to this because it's been said before that everyone, everyone has a boss. Everyone is subject to some type of rule, some type of authority, that none of us are immune from authority in our lives. And we find in this passage, this particular passage this morning in Daniel chapter 2, this this picture of authority and both God's, we might say, God's control over his sovereignty over the authorities of this world, and also the way that God works through the powers, the rulers, the authorities of this world to bring about his end. And so as we study Daniel chapter 2 this morning, I really want us to see this in light of God's sovereign power and his authority. God's sovereign power and God's sovereign authority, we're going to look at in Daniel chapter 2 this morning. When I use that word sovereign, I understand that for many, that word sovereign is kind of a loaded term, right? For the, those who, who understand or, or who lean toward uh, Reformed theology, they hear the word sovereign and, and they, they instantly begin to think of along the lines of Reformed theology, right? Uh, Calvinism, that sort of thing. Those who, those who maybe are less inclined toward Reformed theology hear that word sovereign and, and they immediately begin to think of all of the ills and the wrongs of, uh, of, of that sort of, right? It, it draws a line in many ways the way that we understand and that we use this term. And so I want to give a very clear working definition of what I mean when I talk about God's sovereign power and his sovereign authority this morning as we look at the text, especially this word sovereign. The word sovereign, especially as I understand it and as I'm going to use it with Daniel chapter 2 this morning, refers to God's, God's rule or his dominion. God is sovereign in power and sovereign in authority in that there is none who is above God. We might truly say that there is no one else who has any type of authority or rule or dominion over God. He is above all. And so in that sense, God is sovereign. He has rule over. In the same way that we use that word sovereign when we refer to a king and his kingdom, that a, that a king is sovereign over his kingdom, he has rule or dominion over that kingdom. God is sovereign over all of creation as the creator himself. Colossians chapter 1 tells us this, that, that by him, speaking specifically in Colossians of Jesus, by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So God is sovereign above all the authority, all the powers, all the, the rulers of this world. And as such, he, he has power and authority over those things. Not everyone that claims to have power in our world today has a right to authority, has a right to that power, right? Not everyone who exercises power has real authority to use that power. Similarly, not everyone who has authority has the power to carry out their authority, right? There's, there's a, a delicate balance between power and authority. They are not the same thing, and yet when we see this story in Daniel 2, and, and really when it, when it points us to the, the bigger picture here, this bigger theme of God's sovereign power and God's sovereign authority over all things in this world, we really are mindful that, that God does have both a very real power and authority over all creation, just as Colossians says. 
All things were created through Him and for Him. Proverbs 21.1 tells us that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. God has the power to direct even the hearts of kings and rulers and authorities in this world today. One of my own personal favorite expressions of God's sovereignty and God's sovereign authority is actually found in the words to the, the classic hymn, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Listen to these words. Listen, listen to this, this picture of God's authority over all of creation in this, in this familiar hymn. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is my health and salvation. All ye who hear, now to His temple draw near. Praise Him in glad adoration. Praise to the Lord, who are all things so wondrously reigneth. Shelters thee under his wings, yea, so gently sustaineth. Has thou not seen how thy desires there have been granted in what he ordaineth? Praise to the Lord, who doth prosper thy work and defend thee. Surely his goodness and mercy here daily attend thee. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do, if with his love he befriend thee. Praise to the Lord, O let all that is in me adore him, all that hath life and breath Come now with praises before him. Let the amen sound from his people again. Gladly for A we adore him. Praise to the Lord who with marvelous wisdom hath made thee. Decked thee with health and with loving hand guided and stayed thee. How oft in grief hath not he brought thee relief, spreading his wings for to shade thee. I love that. I love those words. I love the picture that that paints and creates so poetically of God's his, his sovereign power and authority over all of creation. And so as we dig into Daniel chapter 2 this morning, and we begin to see this, this picture of God's sovereign hand in, in the circumstances, even in, in this situation with this dream that, that King Nebuchadnezzar has, I, I, want, I want us to be so mindful of this truth that what we see in Daniel chapter 2, although it seems to be Utterly miraculous, and no doubt is, utterly miraculous the way that God works through these circumstances and events, is intended to remind the reader, is intended to remind us as the student of God's word, that God has power not only over the dreams of kings and kingdoms, but he has power and authority over the things of our lives as well. And so with that, let's dig into Daniel chapter 2 this morning. We see King Nebuchadnezzar's dream here. It says, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. So essentially, he, he's got some nightmares, and, and it's created insomnia for him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. So as the story begins to unfold, Nebuchadnezzar is troubled by the dreams that he's having. And so he summons he summons the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans. Essentially, these are all just different categories of, of people whose job it was to try to interpret and look for signs. And, and particularly in light of 
the, the, the distinction here between these different terms that are given, it's, it's very likely that these represent in many ways different, different ethnic groups who have been conquered by the, conquered by the Babylonians. In fact, the, the Chaldeans themselves, that, that is an actual people group. That, those are the people group that, that were the Babylonians. The, the Babylonian Empire was ethnically comprised of the Chaldeans. But not only that, these other groups. And so Daniel and his friends would have been considered in this class because, because the Yahweh God, because the, the Most High God was not the, the God of the Chaldeans because this was seen as a, a foreign God to them. They would have considered the worship of, of God as some form of divination or some form of, uh, we would maybe use the word today, we would use words like an occult or, or a pagan cult, but they would have considered it along those lines, right? That this was just some, some, some foreign god worship. And yet all of these people are, are gathered together. If you were here last week and you remember, we talked about the, the systematic brainwashing of these, these people from these different nations that the Babylonians carried out as a form of indoctrinating and, and proliferating their own culture in the cultures, in, the, in the, the lives of these peoples that they had conquered. And so the very same plan that was carried out with Daniel and his friends was carried out with these other cultures as well. And so here you have these religious people from all of these cultures conquered by the Babylonians who are gathered together, young men who are going through a similar set of circumstances and a similar system of, of education and indoctrination that Daniel and his friends were going through, are now summoned together before the king in order to deal with these dreams that the king is having. And so let's pick up in verse 3. The king said to them, I had a dream. Now, that's not Martin Luther King's speech here, right? Uh, because he's not going to tell them what the dream is. He's, he's going to call on them to give him his dream. He says, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. So these, these people who are called together, these magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, Chaldeans, are given now the instruction to give the meaning of this dream. It's interesting as well, just as a side note here, that beginning now with verse 4, and then through chapter 7, the end of chapter 7 in the book of Daniel, this portion of Daniel actually changes languages. In the, in the original writing, in the original language, this, is, this now is in Aramaic, whereas the, the section before in chapter 1 and what follows in chapters 8 through the end of Daniel, the book of Daniel, are in Hebrew. This section from 2, verse 4, through the end of chapter 7 is actually written in Aramaic, which would have been the common language of the court of the Chaldeans, the common language of the day. O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. And they answered a second time and said, 
Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation." The Chaldeans said to the king, the Chaldeans answered rather the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with the flesh. So the king is troubled by his dream. He also understands that these people that he's called together, he understands that they have an agenda, right? He understands that their agenda is, is to tell him what he wants to hear. He's not, a, he's not a, a, a fool. He's not an unwise man. And so he demands not only that they interpret the dream, this dream that has troubled him, but that they tell him the dream itself. Now, some scholars have, have wondered whether or not Nebuchadnezzar demands this because perhaps Nebuchadnezzar had forgotten the dream. And in this day and time, in ancient culture, for, for someone to have a dream and then forget the dream would be considered a bad sign, a bad omen. And so Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't want to admit to this bad sign, and yet he's troubled to the point that he can't sleep, and he knows that he won't be able to sleep again until the dream is told and interpreted. Now, we don't know that for sure. The text doesn't give us that level of information, but it doesn't seem unreasonable for us to read between the lines to the situation, what's happening here. And, and at the very least, we understand this, that Nebuchadnezzar realizes that whatever the meaning of this dream might be, that it's not good for him. He understands whether he remembers the details of the dream or he doesn't, he's troubled with this to the point that he recognizes, he understands that this dream does not bode well for him. And so he's not going to, he's not going to make that public. And instead, he, he demands privately that, that this be told to him and interpreted to him so that he might deal with this, this troubling dream that, that's stirring in his, in his heart and his soul. Verse 12 tells us, but because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. And he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Verse 17, then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So Daniel asks for time before the king. Now, there's no, seemingly there's no reason why the king would have given Daniel time here to, to delay. He's already told the rest of 
these, these wise men. He's already told them that, that he, he recognizes that all they're trying to do is buy more time to manipulate him and manipulate the circumstance. So the, Nebuchadnezzar knows, he understands what's happening here, and yet for reasons that we don't understand fully, he agrees to give Daniel time. Now, when I say reasons that we don't understand fully, it means that we don't know exactly what was going on in Nebuchadnezzar's mind. But clearly the point of the text is this, that God is showing favor toward Daniel and his friends here in this circumstance so that he might do the the seemingly unimaginable. Those words that were issued by the wise men that no one, no one can do this. No man on earth can meet the king's demand. That the thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with the flesh. That's foreshadowing, right? I mean, that's, that's pointing the way to something miraculous that's going to happen in the remainder of the story. We see, we see the writing on the wall here of what's coming in the story and the way that this is, is unfolding. And so God shows favor with Daniel and his friends, just as he had shown favor with them, we saw in chapter one. God shows favor with them again in order that he might do the seemingly impossible through Daniel and his friends. And he reveals to Daniel the, the meaning of the, of the dream, the vision, but also the dream itself. He gives Daniel the dream. Now, some have wondered whether God actually allowed Daniel to dream the same dream, and and perhaps that's what happened here. But regardless, Daniel sees the dream, he understands it, and he has the, the word from God, the vision from God to be able to interpret the meaning of the dream as well. Notice that Daniel's first response after this happens is not to rush off to Nebuchadnezzar. His first response is not to run to the king and say, I did it, I figured it out. His first response when he receives this dream and the interpretation of the dream is to pause and give God thanks for all that God had done. He gives God thanks for the favor. And so we have these beautiful words, this great prayer of thanksgiving to God in Daniel chapter 2, verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belongs wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. And knowledge, to, uh, rather he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, and he went and said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. And so as all of this continues to unfold, the story is playing itself out. God is clearly working in favor of Daniel and his friends in order that God might reveal the meaning of this dream to Nebuchadnezzar because God is showing this this powerful king of this earthly kingdom. God is about to show him that his divine authority, his divine power is greater than any power and that in fact the very power and authority that Nebuchadnezzar had ultimately find their source in God himself. And so we see now the the circumstances as this continues to, to play out. Verse 25, then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah 
a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I've seen and its interpretations? And Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Clearly, God is, is, is saying here through Daniel that I'm going to show you the future. He's saying through Daniel, this is a picture of what is to come. These are the events that are to come. And Daniel recognizes that. And so he says to the king, God has given you a glimpse of what's coming in the future. And he's revealed those same things to me so that you might know the power, the authority that God has over you, over all things. And so let's look at, as we, as we study this, not only the events that we've seen already, but then what, what unfolds as the story continues. Let's, let's see God's sovereign power and God's sovereign authority at work here in Daniel chapter 2. So God's sovereign power, first of all, we see that there's no power in this world that is greater than the power of God. Multiple times in this text, multiple times in, in the unfolding of this story already, we've seen it said something along these lines. No one on earth can do what you're asking, Nebuchadnezzar. No one can do these things. No one can tell you the dream and the meaning of the dream. But Daniel has it right when he says this. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Daniel recognizes, on my own, I can't do these things, but there is a God. Think about the number of times in your life when, when you have faced seemingly impossible circumstances. Now, certainly your circumstances were, were not like this. I, I dare say, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going out on a limb to say no one here has ever been in a situation where your life has been at stake if you didn't tell someone a dream and the meaning of a dream, right? But nonetheless, you and I face situations, circumstances in our lives all the time that seem impossible. Maybe, maybe it's cancer, and, and the odds that are given you seem seem less than favorable, right? Maybe it is a relationship, a husband and wife who, who are at odds and battling and, and, and divorce, the word divorce is even being used in, in their conversations. Maybe it's a circumstance with a child who, who has broken a parent's heart because again and again they've chosen the way of rebellion and, 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 and the path that just leads toward destruction. Maybe it's someone who has wrestled or maybe is even currently wrestling, battling against some form of addiction, and you know what it's like to wrestle with something that you, you, can, you can see, you can tell that it's, it's ruining you, it's destroying you, and yet there's this compulsion, this addiction inside of you leading you back again and again. We have faced circumstances. We face circumstances that seem seemingly impossible in our world today. And what we need to remember when we're up against these circumstances, there is no power 
in this world that is greater than the power of God. What's, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And we see that here in this circumstance. No one could possibly do what the king was asking them to do, and yet there is a God, right? Just as Daniel says. And what you and I need to be reminded of in those seemingly impossible circumstances in our lives is that there is a God. There is a God who has power over the circumstances of your life. There is a God who has power and authority over anything that you're against. There is a God who has the power to bring about the seemingly impossible in your life. None of the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the astrologers were able to do what the king demanded of them, and yet God works through Daniel to make the impossible possible. Keep in mind here that if we follow the, if we follow the timeline, the chronology here of, of all of this, that when this is happening, in all likelihood, Daniel is now somewhere around 16 or 17 years old. 16 or 17 years old. And God is using him to shake the status quo in, in this powerful kingdom, right? 16 or 17 years old, and God is giving him the dreams and the interpretations to these dreams and the boldness to stand before a king and speak this truth to him. So you may be against something that you think, this is impossible. There's no way I can overcome this. There's no way that I can do this. There's no way that I can stand against this. And what you and I need to be reminded of is the reality of, of these simple words that Daniel spoke. But there is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven who has power over all of the things in this world. And what may seem impossible to you is possible with God, right? What seems impossible for you, God thinks, I knock that out every day before breakfast, right? I mean, it's nothing to him because of his sovereign power and his, his sovereign authority over all things in this life. What is impossible with man is possible for God. So God, there, there, there's a power in this world that's greater than the power, there, rather there is no power in this world that is greater than the power of God. But secondly, this as well, we see that God has the power to make our dreams come true. Now hear me when I say this, right? Because it is so easy to misunderstand I did not say God has the, the will to make all of your dreams come true. I'm, I'm not saying that if you trust in God and you follow God, he's going to make all of your dreams come true. But God certainly has the power to make dreams come true. And so when we think about when we think about the circumstances of our life, when we think about the dreams that we have, the vision that we feel like God has given us, and even in those circumstances in our, in our, in our lives, it seems seemingly impossible. We must believe that God has the power to make dreams come true. Can I share with you a dream of my heart? I dream of a day when revival breaks out in the, in the community around us, when revival happens in this city. I dream of a day when when the lost come to Christ, when the brokenness and the social problems in our community are made right, as God's people catch fire and as, as the gospel is shared, as lives are changed, I dream of a day when the pains and the hurts and the struggles in this world have no more place because God is doing a, a mighty work and turning away the troubles in this life. 
And I believe that God has the power to make that dream come true. And I'm praying and I'm trusting and I'm seeking him for that vision. But along the way, in the meantime, I trust that God is at work in ways that I can't see, doing things that I don't understand and that I don't know, working in ways that are for his glory and my good and our good as well. And so I continue to trust God and believe God for the future and believe God for the dream in my heart. And yet, I know this reality. Just because I dream something doesn't mean that God's going to give it to me, right? That would be a, a health and wealth perversion of, uh, uh, of this truth. Oh, just follow the Lord and, and he'll give you the dreams of your heart. You just name it and you're going to be able to claim it, right? God's going to give you everything. That's not what the scriptures teach at all. Yet, they are very clear along this line. God has a power over all other powers. There is no one like our God. And his word has the power to direct the course of our lives, just as, it, just as we see that it does here with this dream. Proverbs 16, 9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 19, 21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Psalm 37, 23 tells us that the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. And again and again and again we find in the scripture that God has power over the things in this world. So let us trust in him and trust his power. But not only does God have power, God has sovereign authority over the things in this life as well. God has sovereign authority. We see that every earthly authority, all other authorities are subject to God's sovereign authority here. At this point in time, Nebuchadnezzar was the, was the mightiest man in the world, the greatest king over the greatest kingdom in the world at this time. He ruled much of, of the known world in this day, in this time. And yet even this man, with all of his power, with all of his authority, even this man was subject to God's sovereign authority. Even this man couldn't tell the interpretation of his own dream. Even this man couldn't make his followers, his subjects, give him such, such meaning, such wisdom that, that eluded him, that escaped him. And yet, Daniel makes it clear, God has done this. It's not any wisdom that I have. It's not any special power. Daniel's telling him, I'm not a, I'm not a great magician. I, I, I have no magical powers, no superpowers here, right? God has given me this vision because the Lord wants to speak a word to you, O king. Every earthly authority is subject to God's sovereign authority. Have you ever had a boss that you really just can't stand? Have you ever worked for somebody that just drove you nuts, right? Like, it didn't matter what they did, it, you, you couldn't, it wasn't right, you couldn't stand it. You didn't like the, 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 the hours that they made you work, you didn't like the instructions that they gave, you didn't like the tasks that they assigned to you, you didn't like any of it. Or... Can you remember back to about the time that you knew it all, you know? Around about the age of Daniel in this story, right? 15, 16, 17, and, and you knew everything, and, and you had an answer for everything, and, and you saw everything through the lenses of that kind of idealism that was untainted by all of the failures of life yet, right? And you just had it all figured out. 
there is no authority in this world that is not subject to God's authority. And we see all the time that authority is a part of our world, right? Everybody's got a boss. Everybody's got somebody that they report to. Think of the most powerful person that you can think of, the most powerful authority in this world, right? I I don't know what that might be. Maybe we would say it's the president of the United States. I mean, maybe, right, that we might say that is the most powerful person in the world today would be the president of the United States because of the power of this nation. And yet, even the president of our United States has authorities that they are subject to. Now, you know, clearly we could argue whether they try to usurp that and, and evade those authorities. But even in our system, right, there are the, what we call the checks and balances. There, right? there, there, there are, there's accountability. There's responsibility there. there it, it's, it's not uh, an authoritative, egalitarian type of rule. Everyone in this world has some kind of authority, right? Or, or it's been said this way before. You've, you've heard it said this way. That there are, there are bigger fish in, in the ocean, right? There's always a bigger fish somewhere. But we see in this story that there is no one who's greater than God. There's no power. There is no authority greater than the authority that God has. And that every earthly authority is subject to God's sovereign authority. Because ultimately, all earthly authorities find their source in God's sovereign authority. That's what Ro- that Romans chapter 13 teaches us. Romans chapter 13 says this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. God has appointed the authorities of this world. The scripture make it clear. And there is no authority greater than God's authority. There is no authority that can usurp or control the power, the authority that God has. And when we resist those authorities, ultimately we end up resisting what God has appointed. See, God has sovereign power and God has sovereign authority over our lives, over the circumstances of our lives. And every earthly authority ultimately derives its authority from God's sovereign authority. And then finally we see this point. In light of this power, in light of this authority, God has a plan for the kings and the kingdoms of this world. God has a plan for the kings and the kingdoms of this world. Daniel begins to interpret the dream now to Nebuchadnezzar, and he tells him of the dream. And in the dream, we see that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed of a, a, mighty, a mighty statue. And this statue had a head that was made of fine gold, and its chests and its arms made of silver, its thighs made of bronze, its legs made of iron, and its feet of iron and clay, a mixture of iron and clay. Then there was a giant stone that came from a mountaintop, a stone too large to have been cut by any hand, and this stone struck this this figure, this, this statuous figure, and broke it into pieces. And all of the pieces of this, of this statue were scattered. And Daniel tells, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar that the meaning of this dream is that Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom, the Babylonians, were like the head that was made of gold. And these other, these other metals that comprised this statue were, were other kingdoms that would follow after Nebuchadnezzar. Now we know in light of history today, right, 
that it was next after the Babylonians, it was to be the Persians, the Medo-Persian Empire. And the Persians were then ultimately conquered by Alexander the Great and the Greek armies, who in turn were conquered by the Roman armies. And we see the, that the Roman armies ultimately were splintered and, and, and broken from within and divided even amongst an eastern and a western empire inside of, of Rome. And all of this, all of this fits with this interpretation. So essentially, Daniel says, this, this teenage boy says to the most powerful ruler on earth, anyway, at this point in time, he says, here's the meaning of your dream, that your kingdom is going to fall because it's going be, to be broken by a power that is greater, that is greater than any power of man. Because in this dream, there was the, the vision of the stone that was greater. And this stone would crush the statue and would establish a kingdom that would last forever. And of course, Daniel is speaking there about the kingdom of God. The kingdom that would, that would eventually replace all of the kingdoms of this world. A kingdom that was greater in power and authority and scope than any kingdom of this earth. God is showing Nebuchadnezzar here that his power is greater than than Nebuchadnezzar's own earthly power. And as Daniel tells this dream, what you might expect is that Nebuchadnezzar would respond in anger. You might, respect, you might expect that he, would, that he would respond in some way in punishing Daniel for speaking these words of truth. But in reality, Nebuchadnezzar knows that there's truth in this interpretation. And so we see this in verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. And the king answered and said to Daniel, look at these words, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. And the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Daniel remained at the king's court. Nebuchadnezzar knew, he recognized the truth in this, in this, this dream and in the interpretation that Daniel had given because even Nebuchadnezzar recognized that there was an authority here that was greater than his own authority. There was, a, there was a power, there was an authority at work here that was greater than his own. So what does this mean for our lives, right? When you think about, okay, so, so God has power over the things in this world. God has authority over the things in this world. What, is, what does that really mean for us, right? None of us are called upon to go to City Hall and, and give the mayor a dream and, a, and an interpretation, right? None of us, in fact, uh, if, if you tried to get in the White House so that you could give President Obama the, the meaning of a dream that, that God had given you, I'm pretty sure they would lock you up for that, right? I'm pretty sure they would call you crazy. Well, I've got to tell him a dream and the meaning of a dream, right? That's not, so what does this mean for us? It means that as we begin to understand what God is doing in our hearts and our lives, we need, to, we need to keep in mind that there is always a power at work in this world around us and specifically in our lives that is working toward a plan and an end that is greater than any of us. And so as you go about life striving for the, the dreams, the hopes, the aspirations that you carry in this life, 
raising children, in your business, in your, in your career, in your community, whatever things, the passions that the Lord has given you. You need to understand that there is a power and an authority at work in this life that is greater than your seemingly simple hopes and dreams, and that you and I need to work to bring about God's greater plan in our life. See, whatever it is that you do, God has a plan and a purpose for that. Maybe you're a student and you go back to the class, this, you go back to the classroom this week. You start back to school, maybe a new school, maybe some of you are students who are starting at USAO this year. You need to keep in mind that whatever dreams you have, whatever desires you have, whatever plans you're making for your future, that God has a plan and a desire for your heart that ought to drive that dream and that vision. Maybe, maybe your parents and you have all of the hopes and the dreams for your children, right? Maybe, maybe your children are very small and very little and, and your, your mind is full of all of the things that could be with your children. And you may need to be reminded this morning that greater than any dreams that you might have for your precious little ones, that God has a plan and a purpose for their life. And that you want to be connected to Him so that you might be an instrument of bringing about that purpose. That you might speak that kind of truth and that kind of vision and that wisdom in the life of your children. That God has a plan for you. God has power and authority over our lives. Colossians chapter 1, I read to you a few verses from Colossians 1 a few minutes ago, but I want to go back to Colossians 1, and I kind of want to end with this this morning, because Colossians 1 points us to the purpose of God's authority at work in our lives. And so in Colossians 1, I want to start in verse 15, I want to read through verse 20. Listen to what this teaches us about the purpose of God's authority in our world. He is the image of the invisible God, speaking here of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. That's what I read you earlier, but it goes on to say this. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. See, the Bible teaches us that the God of all power and authority brought that power and authority to bear in this world through the work of Jesus Christ so that he might ultimately accomplish this divine purpose, that he might make peace by the blood of his cross. God's desire is to work through us and the plans and the circumstances of our lives to build his kingdom, that he might bring peace by the blood of his cross. In other words, that his sacrifice might bring peace in our lives as we trust in him. And so in the, in, in, in the most clear way that I know to say this, what the scripture is teaching us is that God chose to use all of that power and all of that authority ultimately for this purpose, to reconcile a broken, sinful humanity to himself. God could have done anything with his power. 
He could have just wiped us out and started over. He could have done anything that he chose, and yet his will, his purpose, was to bring all of that to bear so that he might redeem us to himself. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And if by faith you would trust in him, then you would begin to live in that plan and that purpose. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes to pray with me this morning? In a moment, we're gonna have a time of response. And as we sing this song of response this morning, I pray that God would would stir your heart, that if you don't know him, if there's never been a moment in your life when you've trusted him by faith, that today would be the day that you would surrender your heart and your life to Jesus. Today would be the day that you recognize that he has a power and authority that is greater than anything in this life, and his desire is to use it to set you free from your sin. God, we thank you that you have chosen to use your power in this way, that you would save us, that you would redeem us from our sin. Lord, when we face the things in this life, circumstances, situations, may we be reminded of those words that Daniel spoke, that there is a God in heaven. Lord, may we turn our hearts, our face to you, look to you for direction, wisdom, guidance in our lives. Ultimately, Lord, look to you for salvation from the sin that has broken us. So we pray now in this moment, Lord, May your authority and your power have dominion and rule in our hearts. May you be sovereign over us, God, as we trust you by faith. We pray this in your name. Amen. As we stand together this morning to sing this song of invitation, I want to invite you today, if you recognize that God is moving in your heart and your life, that he desires to set you free from your sin, to use all the authority and the power that he has to break the curse of sin in your life. Would you come today? Would you be bold enough to step out by faith and surrender your life to him? If that's you, then you come forward. Take Brad or myself by the hand as we sing this song of invitation. Would you come? Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled,
love the way that this song uses that word grace because that's what it is, right? It's God's grace that is extended to us. It's God's grace that makes his power and his authority work in our favor rather than against us. See, God deservingly could have punished us. He could have sentenced us to condemnation because of our sin and our rebellion against him, and yet it's the grace of God that chooses to exercise his power and his authority to forgive us and redeem us. Grace that is greater than our sin. Thank God for that grace. And thank God for the power to to bring that grace to bear over all of our sin and all of our guilt and our shame. This morning, if you have never trusted in Jesus Christ, if you have never experienced what the Bible describes as the free gift of that grace, the overwhelming flood of that grace in your life, I pray that before you leave today, you would be willing to surrender your heart and your life to him. I want to ask if you would to have a seat this morning. And as you do that, I want to draw your attention again to this registration card that I pointed out earlier.